This is the Let's Get Real Estate Show with your host, Danielle Chason. Full-time investor, strategic consultant, motivational coach, sought-after speaker, and host of your number one real estate investing show, Let's Get Real Estate, where real people are doing real estate. Hey, everybody. It's Danielle Chason here with the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. I am your show host. And with me today, I have Luke Boyron, master wholesaler, number one wholesaler in Canada. Welcome, Luke. Um, Thank you for coming on the show. I'm super excited. Uh, More importantly, friend of mine. I, uh, I have a lot of respect for this gentleman. I have watched him grow over the last five years, um, just an, an explosive growth over the last five years. You've been in real estate Thanks for a lot that. longer Thanks than that, I know, but it has been just a joy to watch you in the recent years with your wholesaling business and taking off. So I just want to say thank you for taking the time because I know you're super busy these days and taking the time to uh, to join me on our little podcast here where real people are doing real estate. So thank you. Luke. Um, there is so much I want to cover with you today. Uh, but before we do that, I, I would love if you could share a story about yourself with our audience so that they can get to know you a little bit better. Maybe you can share kind of, you know, what, awesome. what got you into real estate and what really, um, you know, what was it that was it, I guess let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Cause I know you bought your first house a long time ago. By the way, for the audience that doesn't know you, he bought his first house at the age of 18 in his first year of university. Um, and uh, there's a there's a fun story behind that. And maybe we can talk about that one day. But I want to fast forward a little bit where there was that that shift in your business where you pivoted and launched. And what was it that was that was a turning point for you um, in your business? Well, first of all, it was going full time in real estate. Um, and it was uh, I still had doubts myself over whether flipping was even a viable full-time strategy in Canada and buying directly from owners and all of that. Even though when I started flipping, I was buying off of the MLS, which was possible, still is. Um, But it was a a bit of a mindset because when I started in this, people would tell me, you know, you can't flip houses. People don't sell them at a discount in Canada like they do in the States. Um, You know, people are just too intelligent. They're not going to sell you at a discount. and that's a bit of a, now knowing now that's a bit of a misunderstanding that it's not an intelligence thing that people sell you at a discount. It's sometimes ease. It's sometimes embarrassment, tons of different reasons. But, um, you know, I, I had a theory that I could do this full time as a job. Um, and I hadn't proven it yet. And uh, I had naysayers. Um, people would tell me it wasn't possible. So and I had doubts in my own mind. I think that really is a testament to, you know, you have to pay attention to who you're taking advice from, right? I mean, we all go into these networking rooms and we're, you know, we're networking with other people that are there in the audience, trying to find their own ways. Some are more savvy than others, maybe been in the game a little bit longer. Everybody's business model is very different as well. And, um, you know, I think just listening to the people who have done it before you rather than people who've heard about it, but not implemented is critical. Would you say? Absolutely. Like, I remember you and I met when you just started in wholesaling and we had met, you reached out to me and we had a conversation about wholesaling and, um, you know, I've never done wholesaling. 
but I never doubted it could be done here in Canada. And I think it's just all about the negotiation strategies and whether or not you believe it can be done. Uh, because if you go to the table in front of a seller and you try to negotiate and you don't think you can negotiate this deal, you're never going to make it happen because you don't believe you can make it happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, negotiating, even trying to reach the seller, why even bother if you're, you should just be buying it off the MLS? They're just going to prefer selling with a realtor anyways, right? So why would you even bother talking to the seller? Uh, well, if you don't talk to them, there's no chance. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think you have to put yourself in, fr in front of there. You have to ask and see. Um, I think it's something that a lot of realtors misunderstand too. A lot of realtors say, oh, they sold it for less than they could have gotten on the MLS. They were taken advantage of, something like that. If you ask the person who sold it to us, they say, no, I didn't want to sell it through a realtor. I didn't want showings. I didn't want pictures of my house on the internet. I'm embarrassed of the way I live, or I just wanted something guaranteed and quick. There's lots of reasons why people, um, you know, the majority of people are looking for the most money for their house. And that's what realtors are best at. Very few realtors are skilled at doing anything other than trying. And even then some aren't good at it, but trying to get the most money you can get for your house. Very few realtors are, are skilled at doing anything other than getting you the most money. So if you're saying, Hey, you know, I have uh, a child with a, chronic condition. I don't want showings. The realtors can say, well, no, you need to have people come through the house. You just have to, you know, take your sick child out of the house so that they can come through on showings or, you know, and it's some realtors don't understand that that for that seller, they say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not willing to do that. And that might be a, you know, with COVID, that was something we saw as well. Some people had people who uh, had family members who were vulnerable and they didn't want a crowd of people walking through their house and realtors doing showings and all of that because they were worried about this vulnerable family member. So they prefer to sell it privately. And in a way, the discount they give you is what they're paying for the, for the, the benefit of selling privately, not having multiple showings, and, and that whole situation there. They're actually paying for that benefit. 100%. And, um, you know, I, I think when you make assumptions, this is something that I dictate, like, crazy I don't know how many times especially with my kids uh, but anybody that I work with in business don't assume like when you're making assumptions more often than you think you're wrong and uh, and so I'm an advocate against assuming so don't assume somebody's not going to be sell their house privately just because you think that they're not going to want to and to your point I think that's beautiful what you're saying with um, you know um, um, the, the, the general population in the masses probably want to hire a realtor and they're okay going through that realtor process, but there is a percentage of the population that is not. And so for various reasons, and there's no, there's no right or wrong in that. Um, so he, here's the thing, like when you were looking at getting into wholesaling, like your dad was a commercial, um, he was, a, he was in commercial real estate. You wanted to initially go in commercial real estate, right? Initially when, yeah, well, when, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a commercial real estate agent like my dad was, but he also had some investments, um, which is what I want to do more of now. <laughs> it's not what you want to do. It's what you are doing. I mean, if you're, uh, what I'm working on, yes. yeah, I mean, I, I know some of the stuff you're working on is super exciting. Um, yeah. So, but, but you, when you were younger, you want to be a commercial real estate agent slash kind of get into the investor. You had a mindset that, Hey, I needed a job with income so that I could afford to buy. So I'd have that T4, um, it, so there was a lot of mindset stuff that you had to shift in order to get there. And even just moving into wholesaling, I remember the conversation we had and 
and I, you know, I validated for you, no, it can be done. I think you should. And I think you can. And just given how you were when we met and the drive that you had, I knew, I knew there's not too many people that stand out and you stood out. I knew that you could make it happen. And which you did, by the way, you're on track for how many units for 2022, uh, sorry, 2021, how many wholesales? Uh, Somewhere in the low 200s. 200 plus properties in the low 200s that's insane that is like a property more than every other day like at least a property every two days like that's crazy to me that's crazy but just the logistics of that um but yeah so you had to change your mindset first in order for you to be able to break into the business and really make it happen and then and then you had to pivot and shift and learn to scale the the, the business and be able to do more of what it is you're once you validate it for yourself, you could do it. Then you had to figure out how to scale to do more of it. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit and talk about the challenges. So like the biggest challenge was mindset. How did you get over that? Um, I think it was a little bit by taking action. And I think once you have success, it helps your mindset. Um, I think also seeing other people do it, there was nobody doing it in Canada, but I started getting around some American investors who were doing you know, 100 plus houses a year as flips or wholesales. And I tried to look at what they were doing and see what I could replicate in Canada. And there's lots of things that don't carry over to Canada, but there are some things that do. Um, but seeing what they can do, I think it's, you know, um, it's, it's like anything in life. When you see athletes, Olympic athletes, they break a world record. They hit the first, you know, um, they hit the first time swimming a certain time uh, for the hundred meter swim or something like that. The next, what you see often is now other people start hitting that time too, because it's possible. Um, whether that's an athlete, you know, if you see that somebody is, uh, flipping a house and makes money on it, you realize, Oh, it's possible to do. Now your mind goes to how can I do it? And then when I see people saw people at the time in the States flipping a hundred houses, Oh, that's possible to do now. Oh, I don't know. It's Canada. Maybe I can't do a hundred, but I'm doing, you know, I think I would did 17 in 2017, something like that. If they're doing a hundred, maybe I can do 50. And so then my mind started working. Not if, not that I can't do this. It was more, how can I do this? Um, and th that's always been the evolution. It's looking at how can I do that next step? Um, and it's been pushing my mindset and pushing, um, pushing myself to believe that I can do more. Um, and again, now I'm doing a few hundred when at the time I thought there's no way, you know, somebody could do anywhere close to that in Canada. Um, and you see other people now seeing how many, you know, what success I, I've had here in Canada. You see a lot of other people starting off saying, this is possible. Let me try as well. So what I'm hearing you say is challenge your challenge your belief system challenge your if there's something you want to do and something in your head is telling you not to do it what i'm hearing you say is challenge that and put it to the test instead of just buying into it is that fair absolutely yeah and for the almost and then once we you do in life there's somebody who's done it before and when you see that somebody else has done it before you know that it's possible well, and that's what they say about the five minute mile, right? I think it was a four, no, sorry, the four minute mile. So the first guy, like it took forever, decades and decades, and nobody thought you could, you know, break that four minute. And then as soon as the first guy broke it, then after that, there was like six guys in the first six months that 
uh, was right behind him and broke through it. So I think, you know, somebody, you don't necessarily need to be a trailblazer. And you knew that wholesaling worked elsewhere. Why wouldn't it work in in Canada? And then you decided, you know what, I'm going to just go for it and put it to the test. And so challenge that little voice in your head that says, nah, it's not going to work. And, you know, listen to, uh, don't listen to people who haven't done it because they, they don't know. So, you know, at the end of the day, and maybe somebody did try it that you listened to and it didn't work for them, but maybe they had a different technique than you did. So a different training, different experience. So what I'm hearing you say is challenge that voice in your head. And then um, once you have success, then it validates for you and gives you that drive and that momentum that you need in order to rinse and repeat and do it again, right? Um, would you say that's how it kind of, that's how you overcame that mindset of that belief system? Yeah, absolutely. It's always an incremental process, right? I remember when I started flipping, I knew people at the time I knew people flipped. But what I I remember seeing was people would flip a few houses and then they would go on and try to develop or they would try to, um, or they try to do new builds, right? I don't know if if you remember, you know, that seeing that, that's what I saw of people. I don't know if that's reality, but that's what I saw at the time. And um, at the, at that time, I remember thinking, well, if they're making money on flipping, they see this as not a big enough deal, not important enough, but they can make money on a few flips. So why don't they do more of it? And so if they can make it work for a few flips, let me figure out how to do a lot of them. That was kind of my mindset at the time. I knew part of it was possible. Let me see how to do the next step. And I think that's the important part is asking yourself, how, how do I do this? And going out there and doing the work to get the answers you need in order to make it work. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you bring up a really good point. Um, I had a, I had a solid, solid friend of mine, actually, he's on the podcast. um, And he, he said something that was really impressionable. and And it goes to what you're saying right now, shake the hands of the people you want to become. And so if you want to be a great wholesaler, then meet other wholesalers and shake their hand. If you want to be a great flipper, meet another great flipper, shake their hand and put yourself in their space and expose yourself to them. And those are the people you need to learn from. So, yeah, that's awesome. I thank you for sharing all of that. Um, What would you say though, like after you got over that mindset and you started building your business and you started building your brand, you started building everything that you needed, um, you were presented with some challenges because you actually were very successful very quickly with what you were doing, because at the time there wasn't a lot of people wholesaling. So you really had an untapped market. And so um, what challenges, like I want to talk about scaling the business, because I think there's a lot of people in our audience that have done a deal here, deal there, whether it's a flip or a wholesale, but they just don't know what to do with that in order to be able to build on that and grow. So what challenges were you presented with? So, so two that I can think of one, one, the first one I'll go into just cause it was a, a, a bit funny was when I started wholesaling, um, the only people that had done it really at, at large volume before me or had nobody was really doing it at large volume. So the people who were doing it for the most part were people who had bought some American focused course and they learned about wholesaling and then they tried to wholesale in Canada, but they didn't know what they were doing and they would go buy something off the MLS they would go try to resell it for pretty much MLS values. And so I encountered a lot of people when I started wholesaling. I was trying to build my buyer's list to sell people these discounted properties. And they would kind of go, eh, I'm not interested. I've been on wholesalers' buyer's list before. 
they're, they don't send out discounts. They don't send out deals. They're just buying stuff off the MLS and then selling it. I could just go buy it off the MLS myself. So that was funny because there was a bit of a mindset from people saying, oh, wholesaling is just, it's not even worth the time to get on a buyer on a wholesaler's list, a buyer's list. So that, that was one funny one. Um, but the other thing that really um, big challenge was me running out of time. And the only way for me to get over that in my case was scaling up a team. Because um, when I was flipping, I was managing the contractors myself and I had, you know, seven renovations going on at the same time. And I was pulling my hair out, going crazy, just running from job site to job site. And then other parts of the business would be, you know, um, I'd be, I'd be dropping balls because I would be on a job site and I'd get a call from a seller because I was answering the phones from the seller calls too. And the seller would say, Hey, I want to sell my house. And I'd be writing down, you know, in my car on McDonald's napkins, notes about the seller and I would lose it. I wouldn't be able to do follow-up. Um, and I was like, how much money am I giving up by not being able to, you know, go see these properties because I'm busy or not answer the phone because I'm on the phone with the contractor solving a problem on something else. So biggest problem was my time. And, you know, I tried to hire an assistant. Um, I tried to hire an assistant going, well, I do all of these different things, take calls from sellers and talk to contractors and get quotes for this and that. Why don't you help me and do a bit of all of that? And that really didn't go well because... <laughs> Um, I had slowly learned and grown into doing all of these things the way I wanted to do it. And I couldn't just hand off a bunch of that to somebody else. Um, and I really learned that I had to train someone in doing one thing at a time to get good. So, uh, I had an assistant for like three months, didn't work out. It was almost a year after I had that assistant that I hired, um, my acquisition rep Parker, who's still with me. And he was focused on one thing, which was, you know, I was doing the marketing. I was managing renovations. I was dealing with accounting. He was supposed to talk to sellers and go buy their house. That was his job. He didn't have to sell the properties. He didn't have to do marketing. He didn't have to do anything else. If he had one job, one focus, I would wear all the other hats. Um, and because that's all he did, he got really good at doing that. Better than I was because I was doing 12 different things at the same time. Uh, he could devote all of his attention on following up with the seller because that was his only job. Um, so that was the first key to scaling was giving people kind of individual jobs. Um, and then with my personality, I wasn't the best at creating training manuals and I was still very busy. So I wasn't always getting back, like trying to hire was taking a lot of time. Um, and it was really scaling up then. What worked really well for me was I did have another assistant, but then I hired somebody uh, and I did have one of my sisters actually uh, helping me with marketing as well. She's still with me. She does a great job. Um, but what really helped me scale was I hired a manager um, who had experience hiring people and training them to help build out these kind of systems and processes. So that's what really helped me scale because I, uh, I hired someone awesome that is, was great at hiring salespeople and training salespeople and managing salespeople. And I had it, hired him as a sales manager and now he's my COO um, and he's hired our next 30 something hires in the business. Um, well, more than that, 30 something that we still have with us in the business. Uh, and that's what's really helped me scale. But um, that mindset of trying to do everything alone um, didn't work for me and also didn't play to my strengths because at the time um, I knew I had certain weaknesses, certain things I wasn't good at. And I viewed that as a weakness that I needed to work on and get better at. Um, and I've learned since that uh, if instead I can scale and have somebody else focus on what is otherwise my weaknesses, I can focus on my strengths and that's going to get me much further. I'm so glad you said that because there's so many people 
um, that I'm sure in the audience that can relate to this where they're trying to do it all themselves. And, you know, it's really hard to get momentum when you're always trying to do everything yourself. And you just said something that is critical for people to understand. You don't need to know everything about everything as a business owner. You need to hire the people that know everything and you need to know enough to keep them accountable and make sure that your business is going in the direction you want. And so, um, and I think that's a piece that a lot of entrepreneurs miss. And when they hire somebody once and then twice and it doesn't work out, they say, oh, they'll never do it the way I want. And, you know, and a lot of times it's because we're not hiring properly or training properly. And we're good at what we do, but we're maybe, maybe not good at hiring. And I know Corey's been fantastic at building your team. He's a fantastic guy, really smart guy. I know him well. Um, and Parker, by the way, he's phenomenal. Um, just, you know, giving you some feedback there. They're both awesome. <laughs> Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think a big mistake is that we go through this and we hire people and then we're like, oh, this doesn't work. I just got to do it myself. And then you give up and then you stay, and then you stay in this rut and you're never happy because you never really get the momentum. You never can really grow or explode. And that solopreneurship doesn't work. It just doesn't work if you really want to find entrepreneurship, because otherwise you just own a job really. Um, and and the, the business doesn't run unless you're there. So you really are not an entrepreneur until you can step away from your business and it runs itself. And uh, kudos to you for doing that because I know you did that. You got a little baby and, you know, you guys got moved and had the baby and, you know, being, having built what you built gave you that freedom to be able to step back and kind of take care of your family life with all the changes that was going on at the time. Um, that's when you know you've got a successful business truly but here's where i'm curious uh, and i'm i'm really wanting to know um your opinion on this i think a lot of people they get stuck with hiring somebody because maybe they haven't had the money or they don't have the cash yet and that's a scary thing because you're like well if i hire somebody i have to pay them and i don't have the money that's you know i'm barely get, getting by with what's coming in and i'm sure you had that too and so I'm curious on how, especially like at the time, you, I mean, you were a single guy. I mean, yeah, you and Jess were going out and stuff, but you know, you didn't have a family, didn't have kids. The commitments were a lot less. What if, what like for myself, I got into business. I had three kids, single mom, like it's really hard to swallow that pill. So what would you say to help those people that have that fear of hiring somebody of trying to get them to the next level? Yeah, I think, um, one of the things that helped there was I put in the work to get good at my own craft. I learned how to do the business. I learned what it would take and I had proven success. That gave me the confidence to hire people to continue with that. At the time and with the funds I had at the time, I wouldn't have felt confident just starting out um, to hire people um, because I didn't know whether it would work or not. I was testing my own theory, but I didn't have the money necessarily to commit to hiring a bunch of other people to test my theory for me. Um, so first thing was I, I proved the model, right? Once you have the model proven and you can replicate it, then you need the help to replicate it. Um, at the same time, once I was scaling, I had something I thought of several times that I had in my mind was, uh, and obviously I don't have anywhere near <laughs> as deep as pockets, I thought about, you know, what if a billionaire, you know, I only know 
obviously only know the celebrity ones, but you know, you take Bill Gates or something like that. If Bill Gates wanted to start an HVAC company or a real estate wholesaling business, he wouldn't spend two years learning how to do it, how to talk to sellers, all of that, um, because he has the funding behind him. He would hire great managers and you'd pay them to scale and he would take a loss when he starts and then, but he would be betting at the profitability once it's scaled. And so when I was scaling, I was kind of thinking of that I need to hire great people who are going to be able to build this for me. Um, now that I have some funds behind me. So there was that. Um, I, I think one of the key parts too is, um, and, and this plays into my strengths as well in that, uh, you know, I think the business owner needs to be the visionary of a company. They need to have the vision on where the company's going. Um, the other part of it though, was I tend to be, I tend to think, I tend to be forward thinking just the way I am. I tend to plan ahead, think ahead. I'm not someone who uh, gets um, uh, frozen by, you know, uh, not knowing future, but I like to plan ahead as much as possible. So when scaling quickly, the thing, one of the things that really helped was I would think ahead and think about what's my next bottleneck. So right now I have, um, you know, Parker and Corey hired, right? I have the COO, I have an assistant. Well, Parker's taking the phone calls from sellers and he's too busy. And then he's at an appointment with a seller and another seller tries to call him. He can't reach him. He's not getting back to him. Um, and he's on the road driving to a seller's house. So he's not taking a call. Okay. Well, so I can see that the next problem is going to be hiring someone to take that phone call from the sellers. And then after that, I'm the one selling the properties to, to our buyers. Well, I need help with that now because I'm going to be too busy to do the other things I'm wearing. And and then I go, okay, well, now we're even getting, you know, too many appointments. I need somebody else to buy the houses. I need, for example, it was that before I could start to see, okay, we're getting, they're getting a little bit too, as we're growing, Parker's too busy, right? He can't handle all of the appointments for just an example. Um, we could keep pushing that way, but instead I would start hiring for that bottleneck or working towards solving that bottleneck before it actually stopped us from producing, before it was so overwhelming that it stopped us. So by the time, you know, for example, and I'm just using the example of any acquisition rep, let's say, um, by the time they get to the point where they are burnt out, they can go on a little bit too much appointments for a few weeks. But if you do it for months and months and months and you're spending your weekends on appointments and you're spending long days during the week, you're going to get burnt out. So if you can spot that ahead of time, and start looking for good people rather than reacting and just hiring the first person that comes to you. You can get ahead of that. You can hit someone great in that role. And then as you ramp up, you can start filling the next person's shoes. Um, and you can look at what the next bottleneck is. And so that's the way we were able to grow is looking at each bottleneck as we grew. What's the next bottleneck? Oh, maybe we're short on capital. Okay, let's go raise some money. What's the next bottleneck? Oh, okay. We, um, this insurance that we're dealing with is a pain in the ass. So let's go see if we can get a commercial policy to roll properties in and out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so solving those problems before they become overwhelming was a major, uh, was a major change or a major, made a major impact in being able to grow so quickly. You know, I think um, this is a testament to something that I believe in. A lot of people wonder, like, when is the right time to hire? And this is kind of uh, a question that a lot of business owners come across. And unfortunately, they always put it off because by the time 
you know, you, you, the, the question is a fleeting question in the beginning. And then it's like, and then it's like, Oh, not yet. Not yet. It's not now because it's not critical. But then what happens when you wait, it gets, you get busier and you get busier and then you're chasing and trying to like fix, plug the hole. But then when you know, definitively, you need to hire that person, it's too late. And now you're like, how am I going to hire that person when I'm trying to manage all of this? And then I'm trying to, you know, how am I going to go through the hiring process and train them because I'm trying to take care of my business right now. So I always say, and I'm glad you brought this up. I always say to people, when the question hits your head, when should I hire or I think I may need to hire someone, that's probably the time you really need to start putting out an ad. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you should put out an ad. You're not committed to hiring anyone at that point. Um, but sometimes a, a thing is finding, you find an excellent applicant, it, it takes away the question. You find the right person, you say, oh, wow, I'm going to pay this person 80000 and they're going to make me 200000 300000 There's no question I should be hiring this person. If you put out an ad and you only find mediocre people, you know, Keep looking, um, especially if you're not sure that you need someone. But when you hire somebody, they should make you either free up a lot of your time, um, if that's where you are in your life, that you want to be you know, taking your time to go focus on other things, um, or that you can focus on making more money. And so by hiring that person, they should be making you several times what their salary costs you. If they're not, you shouldn't be hiring them. And there is a point where you get to where it's, you know what, I'm going to pay them their salary and you know, that, let's say, VA, who's going to cost me 20000 a year, um, is actually going to save me, you know, a ton of time with my family. Well, maybe that's worth the 20000 a year, right? You're, there's a cost to everything. And uh, ask what that is. Um, but that VA who makes you 20000 a year might free up, who costs you 20000 a year, might free up enough time that you go do a few more deals and make an extra 200000 a year. And they pay for themselves 10 times over. Yeah. And that's such a great point because at the end of the day, I heard, or I read somewhere and to be honest, I can't, I can't remember where I got this from, but any hire should bring you three times the amount of income that or um, expense that they are. So whatever you're paying them, you should be getting back threefold. And that may not happen in the beginning, but you should see on the books uh, an increase in revenue that is three times what you're paying them just based on that one hire. And that's just because you're able to, you know, redirect your energy and attention and work on other things in your business. So uh, I love that. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in the first few weeks. It takes a you know, it takes a little bit of time depending on the role. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're hiring, it, it's an investment. You're hiring somebody to make you money, to help you make more money. It's not necessarily a cost. Again, unless it's the cost is, you know, the investment is 20,000 a year, but I get to spend more time with my children. Well, that's a different kind of investment and still worthwhile. hundred percent. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day too, like at least if you start putting the ad out early, yes, you'll be able to vet, you'll take your time vetting and finding a hire. But I think, and, and you said this with your business, and I know it to be true for mine, the first person you hire may not be the right fit. And especially if it's a new position that you don't even have a defined role, because as you hire them and you start training them, you're trying to figure out where they're at and it may not work out. You have to let them go and bring somebody else in. So it gives you time to go through that whole process, not when it's critical and you need somebody yesterday, but at the front end. So, you know, it's a lot less painful. Um, but you're right. It's not set in stone. You don't have to hire somebody right away. And maybe you hire them and you figure out, you know, within the first two months, it didn't work out. You can let them go and, 
and uh, and then move on. You know, um, I think that's the thing. A lot of people aren't fluid. They think, oh my God, if I hire somebody, they're attached to them for life. But at the end of the day, you know, um, I, I don't know that's true. Absolutely. So I just want to say like, wow, there's a lot of things that we unpacked here today. I want to thank you for opening up kind of the challenges you had in growing, scaling your business, um, you know, making that, that, that awesome, I don't know, the growth that you've had in such a short amount of time. What would you say is the number one thing, actually, the number one thing that contributed to the massive growth in the last uh, four years? Because you really just exploded in the last four years. In the last four years, it was, I mean, it was the hiring, in particular hiring uh, with Parker and Corey. Those those two early key hires uh, were what we were able to kind of base a foundation on to grow the rest of the business. Yeah, yeah, it's so key. I think uh, surrounding yourself, and it doesn't necessarily need to be somebody who's hired, but just having that great support to around you. Um, because if you have somebody that's holding you back or somebody that's, you know, distracting you too, um, or telling you, you can't, like you said early on, people told you you couldn't, that could easily hold you back too. So, uh, I just want to thank you, um, for coming, taking the time to come on the show, share with my audience, um, and really pulling back the curtains and being, having an open and honest conversation with me, um, is there anything that, you know, if, if people want to reach out, if they want to get on your buyer's list, if they want it to work for you, anything like that, is there, is there a way for them to get a hold of you or um, anything um, like that? Best to go through uh, blissrealtyinvestors.com. Um, that's the website. I mean, if you want to get on our buyer's list, go to blissrealtyinvestors.com slash buyers, um, and you'll have the option to join uh, our buyers list in our different markets. We're in uh, the greater Toronto area, Ottawa, Montreal, and Vancouver. Um, so you can sign up for there. Otherwise, you know, fill out the contact form on our website. Um, probably end up going to Corey. Uh, but if you have any questions there, you can do that. Otherwise, um, find me on social media. Uh, I'm at French Luke, L-U-C, uh, on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, reach out to me there. Awesome. I, uh, I think I'm going to have to cut that little part out with the buyer's list because I don't want the competition. I want to be your only buyer, Luke. <laughs> I don't know if I could do 200, 200 properties a year, but uh, but I can sure as heck try. Um, yeah, but anyway, guys, if you want to be on the buyer's list, I am on all of his buyer's lists. And, uh, and I have bought many properties from Luke myself. And I will say this, and I'm not just saying this. I mean, there's a lot of great wholesalers out there. Um, I, I have a special spot for Luke because we've done so much business together. Um, but, uh, like you are probably one of the most fair wholesalers out there. And, um, I certainly appreciate that because you always look to create win-win situations, not just with your sellers, but also with your buyers. And I will attest to that. So I just want to give kudos to you because, um, you know, it's easy to ask for more and there's going to be buyers out there, but you always make sure that your buyers are successful and we keep coming back. So I do appreciate that. Um, so don't join Luke's buyers list so that I can buy more. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm kidding. Um, all of the, those links that Luke shared with you is going to be in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Luke, if you want to join his buyers list, if you want to see a little bit more about him, you can check out blissrealty.com. All of that's going to be in the show notes. So if you're driving, don't pull over, don't write, don't text, don't any of that. You can just, when you get to your destination, you can check it out. And um, in the show notes, it's also going to be on the let's get real estate podcast.com website uh, where we're going to have 
the bio page for Luke. It's all up and ready to go there for you as well. And um, don't forget, I have to put it out there. Don't forget to share, like, uh, hit the notification bell, subscribe, all of that stuff so you don't miss any more episodes from the Let's Get Real Estate podcast because trying to catch up and binge is really hard. I know it, especially when we're releasing so much information to you on a weekly basis. Um, you don't want to get overload. You want to process it once a week. Trust me, because we got so much great information. Um, but yeah, and, and as always, I want you to comment and talk to me. I want to hear what you guys think of the show and what you guys think of Luke and how I can help you. So again, this is Danielle Chason for the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. Thank you to you, Luke, for coming on the show and carving out some time to hang out with me and my audience. And to you, my audience, lots of love. Thank you so much for being here, coming back and making this show a success. I appreciate all of you. Again, this is Danielle Chason for the Let's Get Real Estate podcast, where real people are doing real estate. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and congratulations on improving your education real estate. Please leave a review only if you felt we provided value as it would really help us if you would leave a five-star review so that we can help reach a broader audience. And don't forget to comment what you enjoyed and tell us what you are looking to learn more about. As always, thanks for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.